If it seems like all that you see when you look at the church is a bunch of hypocrites, Trent Griffiths says you might want to look again. For every hypocritical pretender, I can assure you there are a hundred humble, authentic worshipers that you will never see. We need to understand the power of belief that helps us to overcome every excuse we would ever use. Welcome to Resonate with Trent Griffith, Senior Pastor of Gospel City Church in Granger, Indiana. I'm Aaron Paulus. Have you ever thought about the kinds of excuses that our hearts invent for not believing God? Well, that's the question that Pastor Trent tackles today, right here on Resonate. And it's the question that Jesus confronted over and over again during his ministry here on earth. Pastor Trent is continuing in Luke chapter 20. And if you have a Bible nearby, I would invite you to open it up and follow along. We'll listen to some highlights from the beginning of his message, which we heard last week on Resonate. And then Pastor Trent concludes this message on deconstructing our excuses for unbelief. Let's listen in. Let's begin reading here in Luke chapter 20 in verse 27. It says, There came to him, there came to Jesus, there came to him some Sadducees who deny there is a resurrection. Now, just a little explanation about the Sadducees. They didn't believe in life after death. They denied there is a resurrection. They didn't believe in anything spiritual. They only believed in the here and now, only the natural, only the tangible. They didn't believe in angels. And so they certainly didn't believe when Jesus was teaching about heaven and hell, about the afterlife. So it goes on and says in verse 28, they asked Jesus a question saying, teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies... Having a wife but no children, the man must take the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Now, there were seven brothers. Now, just get in your mind that there's a little afterlife bachelorette thing going on here in their mind. They're telling this little story, making up a mythical story about the afterlife that they don't believe in. And they're trying to catch Jesus um, as a trap. He says, the first brother took a wife and died without children. The second... And the third took her, and likewise all seven left no children and died. Afterward, the woman also died in the resurrection that they don't believe in. Therefore, whose wife will the woman be? For the seven had her as a wife here on earth, verse 34, and Jesus said to them, the sons of this age marry and are given in marriage, but those who are considered worthy to obtain to that age and to the resurrection from the dead, neither marry nor are given in marriage. For they cannot die anymore because they are equal to angels and are sons of God's being sons of the resurrection, but that the dead are raised, even Moses showed in the passage about the bush where he calls the Lord the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. Now he is not God of the dead, but he is God of the living for all live to him. Then some of the scribes answered, teacher, you have spoken well, for they no longer dared to ask him any question. They finally learned you couldn't trick Jesus. 
And so this very intricate story, how do we unpack all of that? Just understand this. The Sadducees' main problem is that they didn't believe in an afterlife. And that's the first point of our message here this morning. The first excuse that we use for unbelief is doubts about eternity. The Sadducee that lives inside of me would like to try to invent a world where I'm not going to be held accountable after I live. And if there is no eternal life, there is nothing more important to you than romance. You're like, where did that come from? It came right from this story. The question that the Sadducees devised was about romance and marriage. Notice the question was, in the resurrection that they don't believe in, whose wife will she be? So, yes, make much of marriage, but don't make too much of marriage. Um, Marriage is important, but marriage is not ultimate. What Jesus is teaching us in this passage is there is no husband and no wife on the planet that can meet your deepest desires because your deepest desires can only be met in eternity. Don't look to marriage to do something God never designed it to do. Otherwise, you turn marriage into an idol. And that apparently is what the Sadducees did because they didn't have anything else to live for than the immediacy of romance and marriage. And our culture has done the same thing. Marriage is temporary. Marriage is a temporary, imperfect picture of the eternal covenant love relationship that Jesus has with his people. The question was asked here, very simply, whose wife will she be? That's the test question. How did Jesus answer that? Now, he doesn't directly give the answer, but do you know the the answer that's implied? Whose wife will she be? Jesus answered, mine. Because Jesus is the bridegroom that is in a covenant love relationship with all those who believe. And so if you don't have anything to live for on the other side of the grave, here's what you will do. You'll attempt to avoid death and disease at all cost. If you don't have hope and confidence of eternal life on the other side of the grave, health care will become your idol. Your doctor and hospital and medication and Medicare will become a substitute savior so that you run to them instead of Jesus for the things that you really need. If you don't have hope on the other side of the grave, every microorganism becomes a threat. Every virus becomes a paralyzing fear and death becomes an insurmountable enemy. But for those of us that have eternal life through faith in Jesus, this life is precious, but it is not ultimate. Health and health care are gracious gifts from a good God. Disease is the inevitable consequence of living in a fallen world. And it shouldn't surprise us and it shouldn't paralyze us when we are infected by disease. Death is simply the defeated enemy of Christ. For those of us who have eternal life through faith in Jesus, the grave has lost its power. 
and death has lost its sting. Let me ask you, do you have confidence that if you died at this very second on the other side of your final breath, you would be forever cherished eternally in the presence of Jesus. You say, give me some of that. How do I get that? It's through faith. You repent of sin, which is the reason we die, and we receive by faith the forgiveness of sin. And until you put your faith in Jesus, the only promise you have on the other side of the grave is judgment. And so every day is an opportunity to overcome my doubt and trust and put my faith in Jesus. There's another excuse that people make for unbelief, and it is denials about Christ's deity. And so Christ continues. This time, he's the one asking the question because they stopped asking questions. Finally, verse 41, but Jesus said to them, how can they say that Christ is David's son? For David himself says in the book of Psalms, by the way, this is Psalm 110. You can flip back and you can see this very quote. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. David thus calls him Lord. So how can he be his son? It's a riddle. David is speaking of a Lord who will be his Lord. And one of the keys to understanding this, if you look back in Psalm 110, you notice that the words of the first Lord are capital in all caps, L-O-R-D. And the way it's printed for us in the second time it mentions Lord, it's smaller letters. Every time you see the word Lord in capital letters in your Bible, it's actually indicating in the original language in Hebrew, it meant the proper covenant name for God, Yahweh. And the second time it's used, it's used as more of a title, a designation, a, a king. So the Lord, Yahweh, said to my king, sit at my right hand, I'll make your enemies your footstool. So what David is actually saying here is this. My God said to my king, my God sat my son by his side as my king. He's talking about a future great, 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 great grandson, which we now, of course, know is Jesus Christ. Jesus was trying to tell us that the proper way to interpret Psalm 110 is to understand he is David's son that has sat at the right hand of God and all of Jesus' enemies would one day become a footstool for him. David is saying, my son will be God's son. My son who was born after me existed before me. In other words... My kingdom is a preview of Christ's kingdom. King me will be dethroned by King Jesus. And that is the ultimate challenge to each one of us. Will you get off of your throne and quit pretending to be the king of your life and allow Jesus to take his rightful place on the throne of your heart? Now listen, don't dismiss the kingship of Jesus today because you are distracted by the kings and the queens of this world. 
kings and queens of politics, kings and queens of entertainment and sports and business and religion. And certainly, King Me is the one that rivals King Jesus' throne ultimately. One of the excuses that the human mind uses to resist the kingdom of Jesus is simply this. It all boils down to this. Would God, could God become a man like me? The simplicity of a baby born in a manger who lived in poverty, who died on a cross in suffering, could that man be the eternal God, the creator of the universe? And that's a hurdle. That's an excuse that sometimes prevents us from bowing to the rule and the reign of Christ. Could this man, Jesus, this simple man, Jesus, be God? Until you are willing to surrender to him as your king, you will not inherit eternal life. Denials of Christ's deity, saying Jesus is not God, is what prevents us from coming into his kingdom. Listen, Jesus wasn't just born. Jesus was sent from eternity past into my reality. Jesus was the perfect God-man. He was like me as a man, and yet he was infinitely unlike me as God. Jesus came to us because we were powerless to come to God. Jesus came so that we could come to God. You don't come to God by being good. You come to God by believing that Jesus was infinitely good, perfectly good, and allowing his life to be my substitute in judgment before God. Listen, there's only two choices. Either you will receive him as your king or you will be judged by him as his enemy. That's what Jesus said. He said, I'm going to make my enemies my footstool. So the question for you today is this. Is he your king or are you his enemy? Listen, you will either willingly bow at the feet of Jesus as your king or King Jesus will make you his footstool. Do, do, you, do you want to be an Ottoman for God? One day, Jesus will rule and reign as king perfectly. I don't know about you. I want to be someone who surrendered to him as king. Here's the last excuse that people make, and it's a big one. Displays of hypocrisy. Some of you do not believe in Jesus because you cannot believe in Christians. And you've said it. I've heard it a thousand times. Christians are hypocrites. Well, you might be surprised that Jesus agrees with you. He tells us the story here in verse 45. He says, And in the hearing of all the people, he said to his disciples, Beware, beware of the scribes. These are the most religious. These are the people that spend so much time in the Scripture. These are the people that spend so much time in the place of worship. Jesus says, You might want to beware of some of those people. 
who like to walk around in long robes and love greetings in the marketplaces and the best seats in the synagogue and the places of honor at feast and who devour widows' houses for a pretense make long prayers, they will receive the greater condemnation. Beware of visible pretenders. Now, Jesus calls them hypocrites. I've said this many times, if you've been paying attention, if you've come to Gospel City Church, but do you know what a hypocrite is? The literal definition of the word, hypocrites are those who wear a mask. Now, there's two reasons to wear a mask. One is for protection. If you see someone wearing a mask, do not walk up to them and call them a hypocrite. They are wearing a mask for your protection. But there's a second reason to wear a mask, and that is pretense. It's exactly what Jesus said that we're to be aware of. Beware of those who mask their unrighteousness with long hours in Scripture, with a lot of blustery speech, a lot of time in the place of worship. And Jesus says, beware of them because there are a lot of people that are masking their own ungodliness with religious activity. And there are so many people that use those people as an excuse why they can't believe in Jesus. I've heard someone say, it's really hard for someone to trust in Christ if they've never trusted a Christian. And there's valid reason for us to repent of our hypocrisy. The reality is this. We should beware of our tendency to let hypocrisy in the church blind us from the hypocrisy in our own hearts. You see, there's a little hypocrite that lives inside of you and lives inside of me. And the gospel confronts him. The gospel calls that hypocrite to repentance. If you see yourself as the self-appointed hypocrisy police, you will always find an excuse not to believe in Jesus. Or worse, you'll become an expert in masking your own hypocrisy by your own religious activity, your religious costumes and your religious flattery and your religious places and all these visible offerings, and yet behind the mask of hypocrisy, there's a void of genuine worship. Now, Jesus doesn't just stop there. He makes a contrast for us. We have to go into the next chapter here for just a moment. And he points out, not only will there always be visible hypocrites, there will always be invisible worshipers. So don't just be, beware of visible hypocrites, be more aware of the invisible worshipers. He goes into the next chapter and tells us about one of those. He tells us in verse 1 of chapter 21, Jesus looked up and he saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. And he saw a poor widow putting in two small copper coins. You may think of them as the widow's mite. You've heard of these and they look something like this. Just two very small, insignificant, seemingly worthless coins that that poor widow put into that box. Interesting how widows keep showing up in Jesus' teaching, in Jesus' story. 
So there's an actual widow who had lost an actual husband, not some hypothetical widow that lost seven husbands like the Sadducees illustrated earlier. But Jesus says, you want to talk about a widow? Let me show you a widow. Look right over there. If there's anyone who had an excuse not to believe, it's her. She'd been hurt. She'd lost the one who cherished her most. In this culture, if you lost your husband, you lost your income, you lost your livelihood, you lost your protection, you lost your significance. She had every reason not to come and worship on that day. And yet she refused. Look at verse 3. He said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them, for they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty put in all she had to live on. For every hypocritical pretender, I can assure you, there are a hundred humble, authentic, worshipers that you will never see. We need to understand the power of belief that helps us to overcome every excuse we would ever use. I don't know about you, I've used every excuse this poor widow could have used for not worshiping Jesus. I I have no one to cherish me. Nobody's going to notice my gift. I got nothing left to give. And what I would give would not even make a difference and and. Besides, I'm surrounded by all these hypocrites. You ever been tempted to use those? She didn't. Instead, she surrendered all she had to worship God. Notice, it doesn't say that she gave more than any of the rest. Jesus counted up what she gave, and in His economy, what she gave was more than all of the other gifts combined because she gave out of her poverty. She gave what she actually needed to live on. It's a lesson for us. Sacrifice is not measured by what you give. Sacrifice is measured by what's left over after you give. Which means true sacrifice is rarely seen. And yet she gave us an example of someone whose faith overcame her doubts about eternity. Her faith overcame displays of hypocrisy all around her. And she truly believed that Jesus was the one to be worshipped. Remember, this is the last week of Jesus' life. Within just a few hours of this widow giving all she had to Jesus, Jesus would give all He had for her. Jesus sacrificed His life for every poor, lonely, hurting, single and widowed person. Jesus sacrificed His life for every imperfect husband and imperfect wife, for every husband and wife who's dissatisfied in their marriage. Jesus sacrificed his life for every hypocrite like you and me. Jesus has taught us life is everlasting. 
heaven and hell are real. Jesus is God. And there are hypocrites that live on inside of each of our hearts that God has come to redeem through Christ. Denials about Christ's deity, doubts about eternity, displays of hypocrisy. Listen, they all make really lame excuses for rejecting Jesus as your king. And you will either willingly bow at the feet of King Jesus or you will unwillingly become a footstool for the feet of King Jesus. And we have a choice to believe as God has revealed himself to us in the pages of Scripture through his Holy Spirit this morning. I want to challenge you right now to believe the gospel. Each one of us is a natural born skeptic. Each one of us gets up every morning and we have to overcome the doubts. But I want to invite you right now to bow your heads and in a fresh new way, maybe even for some of you the very first time to say, God is giving me the faith to believe that Jesus is my King. Let's bow in prayer. Lord Jesus, thank you for overcoming the doubts in my own heart. Thank you for the God-given curiosity and even the, the faith welling up inside of me right now to believe and trust that you came to this earth as a man like me and yet infinitely better than me. I pray for my friends that are watching. God, would you do in their hearts what you do in my heart every day, confirming the reality of what you said is true. Thank you that we don't just have to read stories from ancient truth, but you make it come alive for us every day. Grant that faith that produces repentance in our own heart. And God, I pray that you would drive out the little hypocrite that lives inside of me and that there would be a heart of authentic worship like this widow in Scripture who gave all Thank you for your sacrifice that you gave all for us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Don't you love it that God used a humble widow who had very little to give as an example to show all of us what sincere worship actually looks like? May we all have hearts like hers. While you've been listening to Trent Griffith, the senior pastor of Gospel City Church in Granger, Indiana, he's been showing us how Jesus deconstructs our excuses for unbelief. Gospel City Church is committed to the centrality of the gospel in all of life, and we hope you pick up on that if you drop in and worship with us sometime. That happens both in person at our church building on Hickory Road, just north of Cleveland Road in Granger or you can worship with us online. Either way, all the information you need can be found at mygospelcity.org. Again, that's mygospelcity.org. Or if you follow Gospel City Church on Facebook, there's more great content and helpful information there as well. So I have a question for you. Do you fear the future? You might be concerned about the direction that things are headed in the culture or the division that you see all around us. Or maybe you're facing some scary things in your personal life and you're just not sure how these things are going to turn out. Well, next week, Pastor Trent continues in Luke chapter 21, 
showing us how Jesus helps us deconstruct our fears about the future. I hope you can join us for that. And don't forget, it's not too late to express your love to that special someone in your life this weekend. And of course, you don't have to wait until Valentine's Day of next year to do it again. Well, thanks for listening today. I'm Aaron Paulus, and my prayer is that true faith, true repentance, and the truth of God's Word would resonate in your life this week. Resonate with Trent Griffith is a ministry of Gospel City Church. Visit us online at mygospelcity.org.